Hey, this is Zach Catanzaro. And I'm Walker Lukens. We're the hosts of Song Confessional, the only podcast where today's top songwriters turn your anonymous stories into original songs. This week, we've got a salacious tale of train platforms and anonymous hookups. Austin songstress Buffalo Hunt transforms the confession into a cinematic indie pop gem, exploring the dark pleasures of our bad decisions. Listen to Song Confessional at KUTX.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hey there. You're listening to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that formed and transformed them. Well, that's normally what we talk about in this podcast, but this episode, it's going to be a little different, just like everything right now. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and on this episode of This Song, you're going to hear from Tao Wen from Tao and the Get Down, Stay Down. During 2019, Tao hosted the excellent podcast Song Exploder, where she interviewed people like Raphael Sadiq and Brittany Howard about their own songwriting processes. And then on March 10th of 2020, Tao announced her new record, Temple, which comes out on May 15th. She announced the record by releasing the title track and an accompanying video on March 10th of 2020. March 10th. That seems like forever ago, right? And Tao... She lives in the Bay Area, which was the first region in the U.S. where citizens were ordered to shelter in place. And that order went into effect on March 16th, six days after Tao released Temple. Two days after her city went on lockdown, Tao did a live stream. I mean, lots of artists are doing live streams right now, but she did one that was a little different. She solicited questions from kids, and then on the live stream, she answered them. And I started off this conversation talking about the shelter-in-place order and the live stream because that's where my mind was at. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was feeling pretty raw when we spoke. I am feeling pretty raw. I mean, these last couple of weeks have been like nothing I've ever experienced. And just so you know, Austin, when we spoke, it wasn't under a shelter-in-place order, and now it is. Anyway, We talked a lot about her music, I promise. But my first question was, what was it like to release music during a pandemic? I, you know, I don't know exactly. Obviously, there's nothing else to compare this to. But in a way, I don't know if if in a way people are so heightened and a lot more online, which which I don't recommend. obviously, because it's driving us all insane. Uh, but I, I, I don't know how people would, would have received this song if it were just a normal release. Um, there's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. I, people have been really kind and the reception has been very sweet. I will say that, you, you know, you achieve this kind of perspective really quickly uh, in a way that would be impossible otherwise. The position of a musician in this marketplace, in this climate, even before, the, you work so hard to, to write a record, to record a record, but you kind of already know that, um, financially speaking, you can only rely on tour. You know, we have 
steadily over, you know, I released my first record on Kill Rock Stars in 2008 and the, the landscape has changed so dramatically, but steadily so that, that you just absorb every change and every concession you just absorb steadily. And then you realize that we've gotten to this place where we all expect that we are releasing music um, for free, you know, and, and I, now is a really interesting time to take stock and say, and I, you know, it's not like I've been some kind of renegade or revolutionary or anything. I've gone along with these models because they are, they happen with such force that unless you have um, a, a much greater foothold, you kind of don't have a lot of options, but to go with it and then hope that you can figure out a way to sustain yourself through these new models. Um, what was my point in that? So in a way it's, you know, people are have been really sweet and we're so excited to be um, back on the scene and just sharing the music. But um, the f yeah, the realities that are brought into this stark contrast are one, necessary and two, um, um, and it makes you wonder, it, it, yeah, it, it does make you consider what have we all sort of complacently just kind of fallen into? Yeah. No, I mean, because what's happened now is that if you are a musician and you think the only way to make money is touring, and now we've entered into a situation where touring, at least for a certain amount of time, is not possible, mm -hmm. then this it's really interesting to me because all of a sudden we're talking about paying musicians for their work again. Like today, mm -hmm. Bandcamp waived their um, revenue share. And so we've been encouraging people to go like support the artist by buying their music, which is, which we're only doing because so many artists aren't able to make any income from touring. And so, yeah, I think it makes you reassess what we've all kind of just come to accept and like, how is it acceptable to net, ever pay artists for their work. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you did kind of around the release of your new music was that you did a live stream, which is mm -hmm. something that a, a bunch of people are doing, but you did a Q&A live stream for children. And so I wondered if you could just tell me a little bit about the genesis of where that came from. Sure, yeah. It's such a funny time to feel that you have to promote anything. You know, if it's it just feels weird it doesn't feel right and I'm not saying I'm not doing that but I I am saying it's part of my living to like let people know that there is a new record coming however that will manifest and that we will eventually be on tour however that manifests so that's part of my job to get that out but I wanted to do something that felt less um, in service of my job you know, it's it, it did feel like a better way to spend time. And especially the way it hit, you know, it was like we were told to shelter in place. And then the next day I wrote my management and I said I, I wanted to do this, um, this Q&A, but only for kids, because I thought that would be the most enjoyable way to spend this time. I mean, I, I realized how much I cared about it because I was like rushing around trying to gather props and... Um, I like threw, I like pulled this muscle in my back because I was like in a hurry. And yes, I just 
happen to record some of Tao TV? Here's the intro. Tao TV, what do you see? It's Tao TV. Tao TV, what do you see? It's Tao TV. That was one of the brighter moments of my week, you know, and it's, and I was laughing hysterically at some of these questions. And I think it's so nice to just remove, if you can, just remove yourself a little bit and um, and engage with people in a different way. Yeah, I wondered if there was, even beyond being in service to other people and, you know, promoting new music, if there was a part of that exercise that was for you, because um, I don't know, I've never been told to shelter in place. I'm not sure if you ever have before. No, I've um, never. <laughs> I, I mean, I've certainly never been uh, in a situation where like entire cities and areas and states were told to shelter in place. And so... Mm-hmm. Was there any kind of, like, it was in service of other people, but maybe also in service for yourself and your own mental health? Oh, definitely. It was a very sweet distraction. And it was nice to want to be creative and productive and and do it in this uh, very clearly defined block of time. It just was, it's like a, a nice exercise in just having an idea and trying to execute it really quickly. And yeah, I'm very grateful for it. It was it was really it was fun, and I um, and I look forward to doing it again. Otherwise, you know, you're just spinning out. You're like you try not to look at the news, but then you're like, you can do that for like 15 minutes, and then you're looking again, and then you're like, what? Why did that congressman not do anything? Or oh, whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's just nice. <laughs> and I um I did watch some of the live stream that the whole thing. I was impressed by the production values, by the way. I did not expect so there much. to be like a backdrop. I did not expect oh, there to yeah. be some props. I, I mean... did not expect you to like call in and do a bear, like with a bear from New York City. It was great. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> and I liked the questions, how they they ranged from like, what is your favorite color? Um to I thought what I thought was the most interesting question was like, what is your biggest regret? Which came pretty early in the. Came pretty early. I know. Well, your answer to what is your biggest regret was actually really interesting to me because you said my biggest regret is that I haven't been brave enough. Mm -hmm. But you said, but I'm, but I'm going to be now. Uh, What's, (laughs) what's your biggest regret so far? Okay. Um, Mia, you're getting it. You're getting real. Okay. Uh, biggest regret so far is that, um, uh, I haven't been brave enough. Okay. Next step. But now I'm going to. You didn't expand in the video with the kids right. on that answer. <laughs> yeah, totally. I know. I didn't want to freak them out. It was like so early on in the show. <laughs> uh, but I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about that now. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, um, Temple, was, which is the first track we've released off the record, um, is in my mom's voice. And she's talking about her life before and during and after the war. But she's also blessing my own life in my pursuit of my own happiness. And 
the brave that when I was talking about being brave, it's that I've for the entirety of my career, I've not, I've like been out in my life, but not publicly. Um, and uh, we're friends now. So if I tear up, this is just going to happen. Um, but it's taken so much because I, I come from, you know, I, I really love my family and my culture. And um, I just come from a more old school, old world family. And, and it was always, there are a lot of forces at play that basically, you know, if you're out, you're a disappointment. Like they're just, there's so much fear. There's, um, there's an alignment with tradition and with the, with the way things have always been. And there's not a lot of room to exist outside of that. And so I had basically divided my life. Um, and I just couldn't do it anymore. It was untenable. And, um, uh, and I married my partner and um, very recently. And uh, anyway, but it's taken a really long time to be um, at peace and to, and I knew I had to do this. And it's not that, it's so crazy because it's not that big of a deal, but to exist in two different worlds and feel different kinds of shame, like that old world shame and then the new, like everybody's out and queer and whatever, and it, but you, you cannot sort of, you can't um, exist as your full self until you're ready to, you know, and, and um, anyway, so the being brave was just, um, you know, being brave. <laughs> Tao has said in her bio and on Instagram that it was on a tour to Vietnam, where her mother joined her, that she started to realize that she had to bring the compartmentalized parts of her life together. And it was actually something her mother said that got her thinking along those lines. And that interaction also inspired her new song, Temple. It was uh, after dinner with family. And these are small things, but I would we had eaten near a shopping mall and there was this gift shop that was selling communist era propaganda, but in sort of like a pop art kind of novelty way. But my mom, that you do not touch that stuff. You know, if she, she is from the era where, I mean, she, she did, she fled for her life because she worked for the South Vietnamese government. So for her to see me engage in such a light way with, with, um, with that kind of propaganda or just, and the, the, just though it, I, I wasn't exhibiting all of the respect for the gravity of what had happened. I, she didn't believe that I was. So that later that night she was like, and she never talks, uh, she'd never addresses the war. And she always talked about her life leading up to it, but never the, the sorrow of it. And the pain of it and and you you know I think any kid whose parents have gone through something like that you don't necessarily want to ask that of them you know it's really painful it, it sort of seems um insensitive and and cruel to make them go there you know but anyway she just said you have to learn for yourself what freedom is and you have to understand why 
millions of people would risk their lives for it and why a million people would would risk their lives at sea, you know, to find freedom. And then she didn't say anything after that. And then I just was like shamed into silence and I went to bed. <laughs> and that, and she doesn't even remember having that conversation, but, you know, but it was enough for me to start considering that, even though she definitely has never wanted me to be so open about my life, you know, privacy and saving face, all of these things are, you know, and I, I have done it out of um, a devotion to, to her and to, to our family, but you know, that, that stuff can't, it can't continue to coexist, you know? So was this, was your process of, of coming out to your family and of kind of shedding the shame that you lived with for so long, is that part of what you deal with in the new record? Well, you know, it, I never, it's funny that they always knew. I don't think I've ever come out to them because everyone just knew. And and I would bring people around and that would, you know, but no one would talk about it. That was just, the, the implicit agreement was do whatever you're going to do. Do not, you know, un- basically, unfortunately, you have a job that is public. Please do not be public in this way. So it wasn't a coming out to them. Oh. It was like don't tell anyone in the press. They're like, don't talk about it in interviews, things like that. Oh, really? Which is why, yeah, totally. Which is why it is, it's been such this weird bifurcated life is, um, and also when I went to, when I would go home, I, we didn't talk about it. They would meet whoever I was with, but not, no one's engaging as though this is my partner, you know, but everyone knows. And, um, and then I was like, just fuck it. I'm getting married. You know, like, I'm just, I can't keep doing this. And, um, you know, the timeline of making the record and the timeline of getting married were pretty much the same. And one was informing the other. And I basically was forcing my hand on both because I could, I had basically stopped my life, you know, and I realized that I had put everything on pause because I couldn't, I, I basically didn't want to acknowledge that I had to be ready to let them go. You know, I had to get to a point where I was fully prepared to be um, sort of um, dismissed or excommunicated or whatever, whatever. I just, I had to be ready for that. And it, it just took a long time to be ready for that, you know? And so the record was about preparing yourself for having an integrated life and maybe having some fallout from that? Yeah, yeah. It's basically, you know, creating a temple, a space wherein I could exist as my full self. But the toll it would take, I had to, I I had to prepare for that. And that is, you know, it takes a long time because that's painful. You don't want, you know. Yeah. Um, you don't want to risk it, but you have to risk it because it's, it's, um, nobody gets all of you and you don't get all of yourself. And, and I couldn't make, and also artistically, creatively, I couldn't make, I couldn't be specific. I believe that these kinds of shame had been making my work general, 
when I wanted to be specific, you know, because it's one thing if you don't want to address it because you're not creatively interested in that. But if the reason you don't specify, if you're compelled by fear, that it's, that's a, you know, it's a non-starter. Has there been any fallout from your family? Uh, so I, I, I don't think so. Like there's been more support than I thought there would be. It was actually really sweet. Um, but then, then, I don't know, but then now there's a pandemic. So I, um, well, again, with this thing, it, it really puts things into perspective. And I'm like, well, are you guys going to not talk to me? I mean, who, who knows what could happen, you know? Yeah. Um, and so now people don't seem as concerned. And I, I don't know. It's so weird with the traditional thing. Maybe they like the fact that we have a house and are married, that now they can relate to it more. I'm not sure. I don't know. It's hard. And then there's all these elements of language, too, you know? There's so much silence but then there's also my Vietnamese is that of the, I mean I speak Vietnamese but not in any way that you know we can't communicate in um in an emotionally complex way because I can't do it in Vietnamese and they can't do it in English so a lot goes unsaid but then that's also okay because you don't have to talk about everything you know Basically, and you know, there's a line in Temple there, like that. It's like we don't we don't have words for the way you've grown, but we'll always feed you. You can always come home. That's basically that's it, and that's kind of all you need in a way. <laughs> Coming up after the break, Tao talks more about Temple. I haven't heard the rest of the record, but Temple is such a specific song. Um, not just the the song, but the but the video. Mm-hmm. And it also it's interesting to me that you you've been like there's been a lot of frustration around the cultural disconnect between your Vietnamese family and the life that you live. Mm-hmm. but this what I was struck by in the song and the video especially was like it seemed to be kind of more of a celebration of yeah. that um yeah, totally so thank you for bringing that up yeah which was a huge element as well like the other part of temple is to celebrate the people I come from and the effort to exist as your full, full self but still love and belong to who you come from is really important and You know, another thing about specificity is I came up in a time in indie rock where it just, it would, my ethnicity was, that was, um, it was really hard to navigate how to do that in the press. And the shit that came at me and the shit that I read was just, I'm not proud of it, but I, I basically just ignored it, you know, and. Could you talk a little bit about what people would say to you in interviews? Oh, uh, I mean, they would say that I made Vietnamese bluegrass. They would say that I wrote the song in a foxhole. They would say, you know, just like my point in that was I've never felt comfortable making something specifically for Vietnamese people, Vietnamese American people, Asian American people, because it was so when I that it just would I didn't want to be 
pigeonholed and I, I didn't want to be reduced to that because it was so easy to be reduced and dismissed. I'm not saying it's still not happening, but it, it was, um, there was a lot more leniency for that kind of behavior. And um, so anyway, now is just a freer time to, to be joyful and to be proud of who you come from, which is so funny because everything <laughs> is also so um, completely fucked, but in this one way, there is a lot more room for nuance, you know. But I did, I wanted to make it about, you know, I grew up in Virginia. I was so protective of my mom. I witnessed the, her being dehumanized in all these such painful ways, you know. Um, so I just wanted a celebration of, of, um, of the people I grew up with. Like I said, Cal released the song Temple and the accompanying video at the same time. The video is gorgeous and stars a group of middle-aged Vietnamese dancers. And Tao told me where that concept came from. Well, um, my mom, some of her, my favorite stories of hers are when she talks about um, being stationed in Laos. And she would go out dancing with friends on the weekend. They would fly to Thailand or Cambodia they just would fly throughout and they would just have the, like a really rollicking nightlife that they were a part of and then um, she met my dad in a refugee camp and then once that we were settled in Virginia there would be these sort of um, like diasporic dance club events that would happen where all of the Vietnamese community would dance in different basements but they would set it up like ballrooms like everybody would dress up and they, they would do the cha-cha-cha and the rumba and just all this awesome music and all these, and you know, that's what I remember most growing up. And those were some of my favorite memories. And my partner designed the cover and the album art. And so it was a collaboration between us and the director. I think it was his idea to, to find these Vietnamese dance communities and we were shooting in LA, so it was a lot easier. And plus the OC is like a huge population of Vietnamese uh, diaspora. And so they found these groups of dancers, these like kind of informal community. And then they asked if they would come and they did. And they were incredible. And we had this amazing choreographer who's also a director, Erin S. Murray. And so she was the one that sent out this choreography to the dancers. And then we just... It was filmed in this, uh, an old private garden in LA uh, on an estate or something. But um, I had asked that everyone who was in it, that they would be Vietnamese because it just seemed like this would be the time to do it and, uh, and not hedge it, you know, and not try to make it anything besides what it is, which is very specific. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a part where, a part where you just let all the dancers like they're very precise dance moves yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. until one part of the video when everyone just starts to kind of like free freestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wondered That's if you could just talk a little bit about that and and what you wanted people to. Feel. Totally. Yeah. I um I uh I don't know if they were already planning it, but on set I had asked if we could definitely make sure that there was a time for the dancers to 
to let loose. And throughout the day, they were all, they would, whenever um, there was a break or they were, you know, I was doing my takes, you would just see them just kind of like free form dancing and just, they were so light and joyful and like had this awesome energy. And I really, you know, the, the contrast is really beautiful, but I, we just wanted to make sure there was a moment where it could be such a pure celebration of life um, in the midst of such pain, you know, and, it, and everyone on that video shoot had also experienced the war and lived through it in different ways, but they all were alive and, you know, and some had to flee and some were refugees and some were not. And, but that's the thing that I wanted to capture, which is what I, it was just so astounding about my mom is like this incredible lightness still that that buoyancy that cannot be I mean they're way lighter than I am and I have I have never I don't have any problems you know what I mean I it, it just um not like that do you it, think um, the lightness comes from them having gone through something so scary and intense and sudden I think so. I, I think with my family, I can only speak to the people I, uh, in my family, but I I definitely think so. I think that the way they stay in the moment and they're so present and they just derive joy from the thing that can be a vessel of joy in that moment is, um, I, I think that does come from it. And they don't have, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Everyone in my family just basically lost everything. And then some were, would have easily been killed or put in an education, a uh, re-education camp. And some were killed. And it, yeah, I think it just is a, a totally different knowledge of what is possible in both ways. about you know wanting to kind of you had kind of stopped your life and the lead up to your marriage mm -hmm. uh, was was taking on song exploder and becoming host of song exploder part of that part of that like pause or <clears throat> um it wasn't uh not consciously well you know i I didn't know if I was going to make another record and I, I, I wasn't keen on making another record and doing a tour cycle, a touring cycle in the way. I, I think I just was really tired and it just came up at this time where I, I um, was pretty stalled on songwriting. I was in the very beginning stages of writing songs for the record and we couldn't, you can't even, um, you can't schedule a release date or be, until you have songs ready and so it just everyone was waiting on me but I didn't know when I could nothing was happening you know um and and Rishi quite fortunately quite fortuitously just called up and said you know do you want to give this a shot the year and it seemed like a really great way to stay engaged in music and actually try to take a step back and find um just be inspired and and be exposed to people who had a lot more positive energy and a lot more excitement about 
making music at that point than I did. I knew the record I had to make and I just wasn't sure I was up for it. And so um, I leapt at it because it just seemed like a, you know, it seemed like great timing. And did the excitement of other people for their music, did it like, did it rub off on you? Did it start to have an effect on? It did. Yeah. It, it, it helped me lighten up. And you know what it did the most is it helped me realize how lucky I was to be able to make music and to still have a platform for it, you know, um, and, and to have, to have an infrastructure within which to make another record. Yeah. And it was, it was cool. It made me a music fan again. You know, I, I had, <laughs> I don't listen to a lot of music when I'm writing songs or making records or, cause it's just, it's very stressful to me. I, cause I think it, it just reminds me of all the things I'm not doing or all the ideas I haven't had, um, or all the discipline, I the shortfalls of my discipline. Um, but yeah, it got me into more regular practice and it helped a lot. You finished the record right before you got married. How, if it did at all, did the writing and recording and the making of this piece of art that you're about to share with all of us, how did it help you get to, to this place that you needed to get to where you you're able to tell me, you know, you're able to tell anyone that you're married to a woman, um, mm -hmm. including your family. I'm, I'm wondering mm -hmm. what that looks like. You know, I likened it to a bloodletting. It was like touching all this grief and sadness and shame and just like letting it course through you because it had, there's, you know, like no way but through. <laughs> and um it was really important to do and it was uh but it took a lot you know and and also i had no lyrics until very late in the game because the things it just was so hard to figure out how to say everything that i needed to say yeah and it's also like the freedom to just write a love song and like to to be honest in your love it's just like very simple basic stuff but things I, I had avoided doing, you know, and it was, all, it, it was being a lot more vulnerable with my bandmates. It was like, you know, it was just this crazy exercise in vulnerability and, um, and understanding that that is actually the, it was the strongest thing I could have done as opposed to what I, you know, my instincts have always been to be very closed and to not show weakness, but, um, you know, that'll, that'll make you wither. And you produced this record yourself did, too with yeah. your bandmate Adam? I produced it. I produced it with Adam and that was a real extension too. Yeah. It was, everything was like, I don't think I can live like this anymore, which is basically so shut down, you know, and, and then asking him to, to produce it with me, it was it was like uh, just um, an effort, an extension, you know, and an exercise in being open. And this is Temple by Tao and the Get Down, Stay Down. And yeah, this episode was different, right? But 
I had a great time talking to Tao. I really needed it. And honestly, I really need music like Temple. I can't wait to hear the rest of the record when it comes out on May 15th. If you want to find out more about Tao Win, you can head to the show notes page for this episode at KUTX.org. There you'll find a link to Temple, the song, and the video, and the pre-order. You'll also find a link there to the tour dates for Tao and the Get Down, Stay Down, and a link to the other interview that Tao and I did where she did tell me about a song that changed her life. It's a Lucinda Williams song. It's great. And that's it. You have come to the end of another episode of This Song. This Song is a production of KUTX 98.9 in Austin, Texas. This episode was produced by Art Levy and me, Elizabeth McQueen, with help from Sophia Contos. Thanks to Deidre Gott and Peter Babb and Todd Callahan for all they do for this podcast. And yes, it is true, our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own hard group. Right on. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourself, and I'll talk to you next time. KUT's next AT Explained Live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org. And we'll see you there.